Get the next 10 weeks of The Spectator in print and online for just £1. There's no commitment and you can cancel at any time. But hurry, because this offer runs for a week only. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash sale. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Olivia Potts. And I'm Laura Pendergast. And today we are delighted to be joined by Oliver Woodhead. Oliver is the mastermind behind the Parisian restaurant L'Entente, a British brasserie using almost exclusively French produce. It has been described as where British gastronomy and French terroir meet. Oliver, welcome to Table Talk. Thank you for having me. Oliver, as listeners know, we always start at the beginning. What are your earliest memories of food? (laughs) Actually, the first one was when we were being picked up um, from kindergarten. By the time the person picking us up had left and then come back, Grandma, who'd always been living with us, would have just managed to make it down the steps and we would catch her pretty much every time with the hand in the prune jar. And then we were always given a prune as well. So that's kind of that first memory that I have but another one was down in Cornwall when we were in Falmouth and we would always go my father and I would go and pick up the fish and chips from a place called the gem which is very distinctive and on a slope and I must have been I suppose four or five and it still came wrapped in newspaper in those days and the salt and vinegar and, and it's funny what am I doing now selling fish and chips and what what were meal times like for your family but very classic you, you mostly have british guests on the show it's mostly the same thing isn't it we all talk about the weekend roasts and the shepherd's pies and the fish pies and you know it's all the all the standard british fare Really. And, and my mother's a very good cook so did she teach you to cook at that age no i really wasn't interested in food up until up until I'd moved to Paris much later. And tell us about meal times in terms of who was there and what kind of were they were they important to you, the food aside? Absolutely. You know, we'd all go off to church on Sunday morning, come back from Hammersmith and then have a roast in the afternoon, extended family, but then also, you know, went off to school, so then there was the school food aspect. And what was that like? It was pretty grim. Most most of the well, no, all of them were ex-army chefs and they would just bang out, you know, food for 200 kids, you know. It wasn't great. But there, I have some fond memories, mostly around breakfast time, which is, funnily enough, what I sell now as well, breakfast, brunches. And what about university food? What was, what was that like? Uh, I, I, I moved to Paris in 1998, just in time to work at the World Cup on, on a gap year. And then never came back. So that was my university of life in Paris. And then a lot of pals doing their years out came through. And Paris in those days is very different to what it is today. And, and it was great fun and edgy. And I started earning. I was working in retail, in fashion retail. And I didn't come back, basically. So what are your earliest memories of the food in Paris at that, at that period in your life? Oh, it was great. It was inexpensive. You could still, you know, I remember going to one of my locals and seeing, you know, a radibur for three euros, 50 for a starter. And you had to get your head around getting excited about, and all the food he's doing. There's a great article in the Beeb just this weekend about the exodus of Parisian chefs. 
but taking their Parisian sensibilities to the countryside across France now and opening up these quite trendy restaurants. Countryside, but going back to the real basics. And of course, all the locals in France, oh, why are you doing these basic dishes? Um, but that's, that's kind of what we crave, isn't it? We want simple comfort food. We want the best ingredients. For me, the days of fancy and overcomplicated dishes, I'm, I'm not from that school and it doesn't interest me. And I think that's not where the trend is going anymore. And before you moved to Paris at the end of school, were you familiar with French food? Had you, had you been there on no, family holidays not or was much, it YouTube? No, I mean, we had here in London, we were, I grew up in Fulham. We would go to Tootsie's, of course, on the weekend. And then we would go sometimes to San Lorenzo. And then uh, oh, there was San Frediano further up on the, on the Fulham Road. I mean, it was mostly Italian. And we'd go on holidays to Italy as well. It was only later that my parents bought a house in the Gers, which really was great in southwest France which is where my heart is now in terms of wine and French cuisine it's very hearty very no-nonsense cooking which is what I love and tell us about your path from arriving in Paris post-school presumably quite kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to setting up an English-style brasserie Ah, in Paris how did you get there I so I kind of fell into well my parents got a fashion PR background so I was always a father in menswear and so I ended up for the first year selling suits in a, in a shop uh, British suits and that's why I learned my French and then I ended up working for the outfit that runs Bista Village and I stayed with them for four years traveling about then at the end traveling about villages across Europe and then I wanted to get out and I, and I wanted to take that side of service and retail and take it into hospitality which interested me cooking show I love to cook and to entertain at home but it was the front of house aspects of restaurants and hospitality that intrigued me so I I gave up my you know retail management job to then start as a barman as a waiter I was an apprentice cook for two years in between jobs I ended up you know becoming a manager of one place moving around as you do I then went to New York for a year but basically I said to myself I need to get out of Paris and either go to London or New York and see how they do it over there. Well, London, I know. Let's go to New York. And there I went over to New York and on the premise of being uh, sponsored and managing a big restaurant owned by somebody I knew, part of a chain, very, well, it's the Odeon. It's a very sort of powerful, the Pastis, Balthazar, all that clan. And in New York, you know, you get hired very quickly you get fired very quickly, you get over it, you get hired again, and it goes on and on. And in a year, I, I'd gone through five different restaurants, but it was an amazing crash course. And a lot of what I'm doing now is based on my knowledge from New York. What was the moment when you thought, I'm going to start my own restaurant? Well, you always... Well, <laughs> it was great fun to start off with, very daunting, but great fun. And then after a while, you know, I'm mid-40s now, with family and children, and, and, and in your 30s, you think, right, well, the fun needs to end now. You need to hurry up and get on and, and do something. But taking the plunge is a is, uh, big risk. But one of my ex-bosses always comes out with amazing sound bites. You know, would say to me, Ollie, if you don't dive in, you won't get wet. You know, so, and that always stuck with me. And what's it like running an English brasserie in Paris? I mean, how, how have the French reacted to that? But well, you can imagine, I get it all day long. You know, the jokes about our cheese and overcooked vegetables and boiled mutton and jelly. But generally speaking, we have about 90% of our clientele, I would say, are French. 
of which a quarter of them have lived in the UK either as children or recently in London and they're coming in and they're already, you know, they want their fixes that they're used, you know, that they can't get anywhere else. And then the rest of the French come in, they're quite open-minded these days. I still get a few dinosaurs who, you know, who grumble. But the thing is, we really, I'm very proud of what the kitchen do and our food. And I always knew that it had to be, you know, absolutely unimpeachable. It had to be the best we could possibly do. Otherwise, we would, you know, deserve some of the flack that, that they try and throw our way. And how did you go about developing the menu? Because it, it is wall to wall English classics. That's, uh, yeah, that's you, the idea I've got a bone it. to pick with you about that. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no, not really, but every week when your new comment comes out. So every time you, you, you put a, one of these great classic British recipes, it makes me rethink the menu. I'm going, oh, God, just as we've got all our classics done and dusted and, and staffing. in as a guest. Yeah, and, you know, chef. Uh, and staffing is, is the tricky thing. So to be honest, for the last year, it's taken me 11 months to get the kitchen now pretty much back up to the, the levels I want it to be. And the onus was on just keeping the place profitable after a really bad run of, you know, since we opened, just get it profitable and keep, you know, retain all my staff. And we've just been basically doing all the classics that we know that everyone can cook with their eyes shut, very easy in service. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, for me, uh, and I look at that, and after selling our umpteenth thousandth shepherd's pie, I'm like, oh, gosh, this is so, it's so boring. We can't flex at all. We're not doing... But actually, when you look at the menu, which, as you said, is wall-to-wall classics, for the French, it's 100% exotic. So, you know, they, they love it. And then when the Brits come in, or the expats, or the, the, the tourists, they want that. They want to find the classics and get a, get a good hit of that, which they can't find anywhere else in France or, or wherever they may be. So actually, the, the onus wasn't on changing the menu just yet, but we will be... Things get better now. I just made two great hires this last week, both Brits, both serious grown-ups, and, and we're going to get back to where we are and start to have a bit more fun with it. But um, how, do I, how did I choose the menu? Um, believe it or not, I didn't want to do fish and chips from day one. I wanted to avoid some of the cliches. But you do do fish and chips. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it popular? Top, yeah, bestseller. <laughs> and then beef welly, bestseller. It's, it's quite often table of five, let me guess, five fish and chips, another table of four, four beef wellies. It, it, so, it, no, but it's all good. It's all good. The, the kitchen loves it when it's like that. Do you, th- do you think the French are learning something from you? Yes. I mean, we've got such bad press over the years. I mean, it, we all knew it changed in the 80s, didn't it? London started to change in the 80s. And as I said, quite a lot of the sophisticated French clientele that we have, have passed through London and know about British cuisine. For me, it was very important. Hospitality, as I, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, we are what Danny Meyer calls in New York, a, a casual, excellent restaurant. But, so really, standards are very high. We have white linen, we have silverware, but it's democratic. It's not at all snobby. I want our clientele to be casual. Sure, we get lots of high-powered people in there sometimes, but we also have, it's a normal down-to-earth place. And I, sure, some people can't afford to come every week or even every month, but it's a celebratory destination. And so I'm going off on a bit, bit of a tangent here, but we get all kinds of people and our shepherd's pies are very accessible. It used to be at 19 euros. We had to up it a little bit, but you know, main courses for around 20 euros in Paris when you have all the trappings of a scratch kitchen and we make our own ketchup and we bake our own bread and we have uniforms that need to be, you know, go to the dry cleaners and whatnot and smart soap in the loose. Those, all those things are extra costs that we have to justify, but we still keep our, try and keep the prices low, which is 
there aren't many places like us in Paris really at that kind of upper middle level that don't cut corners wherever they can, which we don't. And when you're over in London, as you are now, where, where do you go for inspiration? <laughs> we're very lucky to be friends with the St. John team. And we're kind of kindred spirits, but like so many. I, I'm not an alumni, but we have known each other for a long time. My, our executive chef when we opened was an ex-chef of bread and wine, stayed with us for a bit. And in one of our f- very well-thumbed books, says the dedication in the front says, you know, Remember, dear Lantan, you know, remember the simple and do it well. And that's absolutely our ethos, and we follow that down to the bone. And some, you know, our recipes are so our homemade ketchup and our brown sauce for the brunch. Well, they do come from the St. John Bible, but we didn't just copy them from the, from the book. It came, you know, from the hands of a, of a chef. So, and it's very funny, I believe. So, our chocolate cake, double baked chocolate cake, which is the St. John staple, but our head barman at the time was the when we opened was the head barman of the River Cafe. And I think that chocolate cake that St. John do came from the River Cafe as well, but shh. <laughs> so, so you see, so it all goes, you know, it all goes around and there's, yeah. a, there's a direct lineage there. And actually it was just la- last week or the week before, St. John bought, bought a vineyard 11 years ago or 12 years ago or so down in the Minervois. And they've been doing this party, the Fête de Vin every year. And it was put off for the last few years because of COVID. And Basically, the way it goes is they invite, it's a three-day shindig, and it's you know, the hottest ticket of the year. And, and I've, I couldn't sadly go in the years past because of opening the restaurant and, and whatnot. But when I arrived this year, and it, it's, we start off with 30 people, then 50, then 70 on the big day itself. And, and I had this kind of somewhat imposter syndrome because around, surrounded by the whole London network of restaurants and some of my heroes and big journalists and the great men themselves, you know, Fergus there as well. And who am I? I'm just a restaurateur from Paris. But actually, after 18 years in, in the industry, and I'm the only one who's not in London, they were, oh, what's coming in here in France? And what restaurant's this? And what ingredient that? And, what's that? and actually, I don't know 100% what's happening in London all the time, but I'm quite up to speed about Paris. And do you sense that there are going to be more rivals? I mean, if, if it's clearly popular selling British food to the French, do you, do you have any rivals <laughs> yeah, well, at the moment? Funny, funny you should mention that as well, because actually in, in, in a few weeks' time, I am buying the cafe on the corner from me, which I've always had my eye on. And since it was originally my sort of unofficial office during the build-out of restaurant number one, and we're going to be doing uh, sort of what the French call a comptoir à manger, which is, please, I'm going to get so much flack for this British tapas. But basically, it's going to be some nibbles all day long, but we're going to have an all-day breakfast site sort of angle. We'll have sarnies at lunchtime. But yes, there are Anglo-Saxon and British chefs. There are in Paris, a lot of them, though, as I said, are leaving Paris to, to set up restaurants in the countryside. There's competition from people from a somewhat similar background, but the offer's not the same. And... You know, it might be more American or, or, or something like that. But even if people or, and the pubs, which serve pretty ghastly frozen chips and whatnot, but they're always full, full, full. But if anyone was to try and come along now, we're quite well established after four and a half years, so we should be fine. <laughs> but then also there's the interesting point as well, when various, and I'm having lunch, I can't wait, going to um, Noble Rock, Greek Street today, and... When Dan, he only came for, for a, few, a few months ago and did a tour with one of my ex-bosses over at Willie's Wine Bar, did a tour and, 
uh, of Paris and it's very easy to get all sucked up in, and oh Paris great I'm going to open a wine bar in Paris and I, I called him up and said dude forget about it you know you need it's such a closed closed market you really need to know Paris well and there's so many trappings of business there and social charges and big groups who've got the stranglehold on everything it's really hard making getting a foot in even with loads of contacts and so don't do it it's a nightmare and the staffing is very hard and what I've always said this you know um, we are L'Entente is a bit of a pastiche of a British restaurant done by an expat selling Britishness to the French we're not a British restaurant that, that has come and installed uh, installé, I'm doing old franglais things, sorry. <laughs> We're not a British restaurant that's come and been implanted in, in Paris. This is the way we do it back home. This is a bit like when Disneyland tried to open. And this is the American way we're going to do it. And within two years, none of the French were going. So the big American boss had to allow smoking in the Disneyland restaurants, of course, back in the early days. You need to have French sensibilities to crack into the market. So people coming, and I know some of the big London groups, Soho House are there now. Uh, etc but they try but it's it's quite daunting I use that word a lot but yeah yeah it sounds it <laughs> and tell us about food outside of the restaurant for you you're a trained cook do you do you cook at home well trained big word but yes I've got kitchen experience I always knew I needed that so that chefs later couldn't pull the wool over my eyes um, but basically <laughs> I just did salad and soups for a good year and then when chef would say uh, oh, there was a great time when I went in what did I know and I remember chef Thierry and I remember saying, you know, Thierry, you know, you with these lobsters, right? You could um, put them in the fridge or in the freezer for two minutes or something. And then later on, the middle of service or something, or before service, he shouted at me down the end of this very big kitchen, lifted them up there, Oliver or Olivier, they're dead, aren't they? You know, what difference does it make to that? And then I remember having to do the, um, the crab soup and having to, to pulverize those poor little soft shell crabs whilst they're all alive. And basically, I made soup and salad for well over a year. And then suddenly, the thing happened. Um, Olivier, are you uh, available next Tuesday evening for an event, please? And that's when I knew that, oh, OK, something, something's uh, happening here. But no, uh, eating outside. So my family are in Germany. I commute every week. I do uh, three days in Cologne and four days at the restaurant. And I'm never at home in, in France. I just uh, always in the restaurant and at home. You know how it is, it's mostly children's leftovers and whatever you can... Uh, I, I try to bring things back from the restaurant sometimes. It's always a bit too much, too much. So. And Oliver, what for you is comfort food? Are there British classics on there or is it something else? Uh, yes, it is British classics. I mean, I have to be very careful now. So I'm in this somewhat limbo mode of about to open up restaurant number two, completely off the rotor on restaurant number one. And... When friends and COVID's finished, so friends, a lot of people are coming to Paris now. I mean, blimey, they're expecting, I just heard that we're expecting between now and September, 33 million tourists. That's, you know, over 2 million a week, which is not quite 2019 levels, but, but nearly there. So a lot of people are traveling. I do, I've got to see loads of friends recently and actually sit down with them. And when I do sit down for lunch or dinner, I always have my back to the floor so that I don't uh, start getting anxiety issues about well, why haven't they got salt and pepper on table number 30 or no? and I invariably order a pie which what, what type of pie do you go for? well we only ever have one on the menu at any one time and at the moment it is chicken leek and 
sort of a mixture of herbs. I think there's quite a lot of tarragon in it. And it's also, you know, I know you've spoken about pies quite a bit on various podcasts, but it is the logo of the restaurant is a pie. Is that the blackbird picking? That is indeed the blackbird. And then we have, I love it because a lot of people don't, haven't got a clue what it is. And so we've got a whole load of blackbirds lined up on the shelf that I take out and I show them. And then we also have four and 20 blackbirds painted on the back wall. But I I took out the line just at the bottom about pecking and those (laughs) off. (laughs) And to finish, Oliver, tell us about your ultimate desert island meal. No holds barred. What would you like? Well, I wanted to... I've got a couple of questions for you as well, because I know you always have these same questions. You keep calling it Desert Island and it flummoxes people, but do you mean Death it Row? Does. You mean Death, death Row, Row meal, but that's right? quite a morbid sort of it is. end point, yeah. so we, yeah. keep, we keep it vague yes. and people can kind of interpret it as they see it. Right, okay. <laughs> your last, yeah, your last you meal. Your okay, my last, <laughs> last meal, I think it would just have to be, and it, again, it harks back to school and no one really wanted it, and I, I just I, I devoured them, but it's um, black pudding and fried egg which I think is, for me, the ultimate. And actually, we have it on our brunch. Our brunches are quite off the charts these days, which is very good. We put, we put it on a Welsh rabbit, so you have Welsh with fried egg and black pudding. That's very good. How do, how do the French feel about black pudding? They love it. They absolutely love it. I mean, we do, do obviously, quite a lot of offal. What's interesting is we do, quickly going back to pies, steak and kidney pie doesn't sell. Deviled kidneys on toast, bestseller. You know, it's funny. They won't do they won't do kidneys in a pie, but they will do kidneys on toast. Yeah. And would you have pudding with your desert island death row meal? Uh, I'm a big fan of lemon posset, which I believe is one of the you know is is also one of our classics. But um, before we do sign off, here's another one of my questions. It's something that I always ask. It's not just to foodies, but I love finding out from people. What are the one or two ingredients that you don't like that you would never eat? Well, we should ask Oliver, what, what, oh. you can be the, oh. we can add this to our list oh. of questions. <laughs> okay. Well, I know it's the two, I kind of, I, I'm not a fan of couscous. Uh, okay. I don't know why that comes, probably, again, back to school food and something there. Uh, and coriander. I can't, it's not. Oh, does it taste of soap? Because some people say it tastes of soap. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, it's coriander on something. And it, yeah. But come on, come on, vintage chef. What, what two things or three things <laughs> or one thing? Okay. No, I can do two. Two's fine. Um, I don't like whelks. I'm No, and I don't like I don't like runner beans. I oh, like other yeah. beans, but I, runner beans. I don't know if it's a school thing or. Oh yeah, no, no. no. I, I mean, I'm, I like to think that I will. I'll give anything a go, but I would not choose to eat whelks or runner beans. So please don't serve me a whelk. Runner bean <laughs> no, don't worry. We won't. We have a bit of an ongoing. Uh, drama in the family at the moment because we read somewhere my mother-in-law is uh, green beans and they are slightly toxic eating raw beans which they are if so, so there's something in there but one of the greatest joys of Java is eating you know fresh peas and and beans off uh, plucking them off in the garden and whenever I can I'm always sneaking you know greens in but I mustn't get caught <laughs> uh, and run the beans as well you know Oliver, thank you very much for joining us on Table Talk. And if any listeners would like to try L'Anton, Oliver's restaurant, they'll find it just near the Opera in Paris.